Hello, this is Father Neil here and welcome to the March 8th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at numbers 464 to 469 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. 3. True God and True Man 464 The unique and and altogether singular event of the incarnation of the Son of God does not mean that Jesus Christ is part God and part man, nor does it imply that he is the result of a confused mixture of the divine and the human. He became truly man while remaining truly God. Jesus Christ is true God and true man. During the first centuries, the Church had to defend and clarify this truth of faith against the heresies that falsified it. 465. The first heresies denied not so much Christ's divinity as his true humanity, Gnostic Docetism. From apostolic times, the Christian faith has insisted on the true incarnation of God's Son come in the flesh. But already in the 3rd century, the Church in a council at Antioch had to affirm against Paul of Samosota that Jesus Christ is Son of God by nature and not by adoption. The First Ecumenical Council of Nicaea in 325 confessed in its creed that the Son of God is begotten, not made, come substantial homoousios, with the Father, and condemned Arius, who affirmed that the Son of God came to be from things that were not, and that he was from another substance than that of the Father. 466. The Nestorian heresy regarded Christ as a human person joined to the divine person of God's Son. Opposing this heresy, St. Cyril of Alexandria and the Third Ecumenical Council at Ephesus in 431 confessed that the Word, uniting to himself in his person, the flesh animated by a rational soul, became man. Christ's humanity has no other subject than the divine person of the Son of God, who assumed it and made it his own from his adoption. For this reason, the Council of Ephesus proclaimed in 431 that Mary truly became the mother of God by the human conception of the Son of God in her womb. Mother of God, not that the nature of the Word or his divinity received the beginning of its essence from the Holy Virgin, but that since the Holy Body animated by a rational soul which the Word of God united to himself, according to the hypostasis, was born from her, the Word is said, to be born according to the flesh. 467. The Monophysites affirmed that the human nature had ceased to exist as such in Christ, when the divine person of God's Son assumed it. Faced with this heresy, the Fourth Ecumenical Council at Chalcedon in 451 confessed, Following the Holy Fathers, we unanimously teach and confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in divinity and perfect in humanity, 
the same truly God and truly man, composed of rational soul and body, consubstantial with the Father as to his divinity, and consubstantial with us as to his humanity, like us in all things but sin. He was begotten from the Father before all ages as to his divinity, and in these last times for us and for our salvation was born as to his humanity of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. We confess that one and the same Christ, Lord, and only begotten Son, is to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, change, division, or separation. The distinction between the natures was never abolished by their union, but rather the character proper to each of the two natures was preserved as they came together in one person, prosopon, and one hypostasis. 468. After the Council of Chalcedon, some made of Christ's human nature a kind of personal subject. Against them, the Fifth Ecumenical Council at Constantinople in 553 confessed that there is but one hypostasis or person, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the Trinity. Thus, everything in Christ's human nature is to be attributed to his divine person as its proper subject, not only his miracles, but also his sufferings and even his death. He who was crucified in the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ is true God, Lord of glory, and one of the Holy Trinity. The Church, sorry, 469. The Church thus confesses that Jesus is inseparably true God and true man. He is truly the Son of God without ceasing to be God and Lord, became a man and our brother. What he was, he remained, and what he was not, he assumed, sings the Roman liturgy. And the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom proclaims and sings, O only begotten Son and Word of God, immortal being, you who deigned for our salvation to become incarnate of the Holy Mother of God and ever-Virgin Mary, you who without change became man and were crucified, O Christ our God, you who by your death have crushed death, you who are one of the Holy Trinity, glorified with the Father and the Holy Spirit, save us. Very well, so we have this um, section on Christ being both God and man, true God and true man. And this is one of the pillars of the Christian faith. I mean, I feel that again and again I'm saying something is very important, but... I'm afraid, or, or I suppose, thank God, this document of the Catechism again and again hits very important points for our salvation. And the whole point that the Catechism is underlying, underlining today is the fact that Christ was fully God, absolutely and always was God. There was never a time when he was not. There was never a time when he was not the second person of the Trinity, and yet, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he took on our humanity and that he was fully God and fully man. He wasn't a mixture. He wasn't a combination. He wasn't nearly God. He wasn't a fantastic human being. He was both God and man. And he never ceased being God. And he took on the full human nature. As we say, a man like us in all things but sin. 
And then the Catechism is going through the different early church councils and looking at the different people in the early history of the church who denied this. Unfortunately, today there are still some people who deny it, still some people who don't think that Jesus was God. Uh, some people, I suppose many people on a popular level, although they're not formally heretics or anything, but on a popular level they have difficulty believing that, that Jesus is really a man. That they have no difficulty seeing him as God, but for them to believe that he is man is difficult. And yet the church has always maintained both. As I said, the, the numbers that we were listening to just now gets into the technical detail. But it is very important for us. And why is this important? I mean, why do we need to maintain both his divinity and his humanity? Ultimately, it's to do with redemption. If Jesus was only God, then his incarnation, then his taking human flesh, then his death on the cross would have been just a make-believe, a pantomime. And so we need to underline that he was really man. But if he was just man, if he was just a man, if he wasn't God, if he was just some really nice guy, then by his death, his death would have been just a tragedy. There would have been nothing salvific, there would have been nothing saving about his death, but it would just be a tragedy like many other good people have died. Every day, unfortunately, if we open our newspapers, we'll find examples of good people who end up being killed because they are good. And Jesus would be just one name on this very long list if he wasn't God. That precisely his death through his humanity means that it's not a pantomime, that it's real, that his life was real, that his ministry here was real, not make-believe, not somebody pretending, not somebody wearing a costume, as, as if his flesh was a costume or a, a, a garment. And then also his divinity is absolutely necessary so that his life here have a value, so that, this, uh, so that we can appreciate the value of Christ, the value of what he did for us. And so this is why the Catechism, well, not just the Catechism, but the Christian faith from the beginning has maintained this. From the first centuries of the Church's existence, the first three centuries, the Church was persecuted terribly, and didn't have the wherewithal to organise councils. But once Christianity was legalised under the uh, Emperor Constantine in the year 320, sorry, in the year 3, 314, 312, 314, around there, already 10 years later in 325, we have the first ecumenical council of Nicaea that's followed by a number of other councils in the first centuries that can explain this, that can put these formulas into the creed that come up with something that people can easily learn so that they can easily have this, uh, these phrases, uh, God from God, light from light, uh, or etc. These uh, phrases of the creed that are easy to learn and yet are a very good summary of our faith. And uh, obviously they need to be explained to us. Obviously we need to study them a bit more, which is what we're doing in the Catechism. But they are a fantastic opportunity for us to deepen our faith. So tomorrow we'll be looking at numbers 470 to 478. God bless.